Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 14th episode of What's Wrong with the Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Roy Gonzarski. Roy Gonzarski is CEO of MagniX, an electric aviation propulsion company. With a vision of connecting communities with low-cost, clean air transportation, MagniX is disrupting the status quo of aviation as we know it. Prior to MagniX, Roy was CEO of Bold IQ, a global provider of dynamic real-time scheduling optimization software. Roy was also the chief customer officer for Boeing's flight services division. His other experiences include private investment banking, corporate finance, advertising, and military. Headquartered in Redmond, Washington, with engineering facilities in Redmond and in Australia, MagniX is dedicated to connecting communities by enabling an era of clean and affordable commercial air travel with all-electric propulsion. Developed with proprietary technology, MagniX offers a range of revolutionary solutions, including all-electric motors, which produce zero emissions and increased efficiency, and power electronic solutions for various aviation applications. Roy, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So can you please tell us a bit about yourself and how MagniX got to happen? Sure. Uh, MagniX started back in 2009 uh, in Australia doing R&D on electric motors. Uh, electric uh, power started to become uh, more prevalent uh, given oil prices, etc. And so the company was doing all sorts of projects looking at different ways and different technologies that electric motors could provide value. And they were doing that for quite some time until 2017. Uh, they developed as part of these projects a motor that seemed to have developed a lot of power. It was very lightweight and it turned very slowly developing that power. And so they thought to themselves, maybe this actually has practical applications more than just interest in R&D. And so they talked to different industries, uh, car companies, boats, buses, etc. But very quickly it became clear that aviation was the place to be because the technology that was developed and the, the elements and the sophistication of the motor really lent itself to an industry that didn't exist yet, which was electric aviation. There had been no company who was able to produce motors that were good enough, light enough, reliable enough to take an aircraft to the sky, let alone a commercial aircraft. In late 2017, early 2018, the company pivoted and moved from being an R&D company looking at general electric motors to a commercial entity focused on electric aviation. At that point, we moved our global headquarters to Seattle, Washington, uh, which is one of the key uh, aviation or aerospace hubs worldwide. And it's also a center of innovation. If you look at companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Starbucks, Costco, they all started here in Seattle as well. And so the blend of aerospace and innovation culture was one that fit exactly what Magnix was trying to do. And so we set up that company, and the rest, as they say, is a very short but a busy history. <laughs> and very exciting one. Um, so I'm really curious about uh, it's a non-existing market, right? Like that's why uh, Magnix also decided to uh, target aviation industry. Was there any R&D done around it, but there is a big barrier to entry, so people are not looking into it, or there was just lack of R&D around like electric planes in general. So why do you think that gap was existing? Uh, so there's a few parts to uh, why electric aviation didn't exist. Uh, and there's kind of, the, people talk about the chicken and the egg. In this case, the chicken indeed had to come first. Uh, in order to have enough batteries 
Uh, and batteries are the Achilles mm -hmm. heel of any electric transportation, be it rail, cars, or planes. In order to have a good enough, light enough, powerful enough battery that could help lift an aircraft, you actually have to have an electric aircraft first. Because if you're a battery company, why right. would you invest in an industry that doesn't exist? And so there were no batteries. If you're an airplane company, what you need in order to fly an electric airplane is a motor that can actually, an electric yeah. motor that can actually power your aircraft. And so if you're an electric plane company, or if you're in a plane company, why would you do an electric plane if there's no motor? And so Magnet yeah. started with a focus on the propulsion system. Let's first have a propulsion system that's powerful enough, lightweight enough, turns slow enough to be attractive to aviation. Then let's put that in an aircraft. Once we have that, then the theory is the battery companies will follow. And so the uh, reason behind not having it to date was that it's a very hard technological leap to develop a, an electric motor that can actually achieve this. Electric motors have been around for many, many years, right? Magnix did not invent the electric motor. Uh, so it, in order to have batteries of high quality and have investment in batteries, you really have to have first an electric plane. And if you want to have an electric plane, you have to first have an electric propulsion system yeah. that can match the needs of that airplane. And so that's where Magniex decided to focus on is start with propulsion, put that propulsion system on an airplane. And once you have and use it with the batteries that you can find uh, in the marketplace that right now, for the most part, are used for electric cars. And then once the electric plane starts flying, then battery companies will see that this is real and start investing in batteries for electric planes. It's very similar, by the yeah. way, to what happened with Tesla and electric cars. Before Tesla, there were no electric cars, and so there were no batteries for electric cars. You only had the regular 12-volt batteries that sat in the front of every vehicle for lights, etc. But th that didn't stop Tesla. Tesla decided they would build, just like we did following them, that they would build a car with an electric motor that would be good enough mm -hmm. using the then-existing batteries to attract then battery investment afterwards. So they started making these cars that had very limited range, could only take two people, et cetera. But they were very exciting and that they were going to change the industry yeah. uh, of automobiles. And lo and behold, uh, we're now eight years later and electric cars can go over 400 miles uh, on a single charge. And so we expect the same thing to happen with aviation is that now that electric planes have started to fly, we have flown the world's first commercial electric aircraft uh, back in December 2019. Uh, you have companies like Pipistrel in Europe or by Aerospace that have been flying two passenger small electric planes uh, for about a year uh, already. And so now that electric planes are starting to show themselves in the world and show that they're a, a potential reality for short term, short hop transportation, now battery companies are starting to get interested in saying, how do we participate in that? Nice. Yeah, I think like it's so interesting because like on looking at in terms of the mass like public, right? I feel like I guess maybe because Tesla has a more B2C model, it's even though like they may not have been ready for the market, they still created a lot of hype and conversation around why electric vehicles are so important. And yet um in aviation, air travel or whether that is like shipping goods or like people traveling, it is so, so important to have that conversation on a much more mass scale, but it seems to be uh, like a lack of uh, discussion around it among the public, even though we do recognize by like air travel, we're like adding to carbon footprint, but it's still, 
not as discussed as electric cars, I feel like. And maybe because it's a B2B model, it's such harder to understand how it could work out. But like, why can you give us uh, some facts on like why you think and know that this is so crucial to tackle? Like, why do we need to have electric aviation in general? Yeah, uh, first, uh, first I'll start off with, uh, I think there is a lot of conversation going on around electric aviation in the aviation industry. It has not yet hit the consumers or the passengers because it's still too early, right? And the average consumer, the average individual doesn't look at or read industry news or aviation development news. They hear about airlines that are flying, United Airlines, Turkish Airlines, American Airlines. And so those are the things they can see directly. Very similar, by the way, if you look back eight years or nine years, no one was talking about Tesla either, except within the automobile industry. So it's just a matter of time. Once airlines start to fly it, then people start to talk. I can give you an example. In British Columbia, Canada, where we are flying the electric beaver with Harbor Air, the airline, all of Harbor Air's customers, their passengers, all know about this and talk about it excitingly because they're involved with it firsthand because it's their airline. And so once that starts to happen, you'll see more and more consumer talk, not just the B2B side of things. But let me answer the question of why is this so important now more than ever? And there are two things that are happening today in the world, two trends. One is the on-demand economy. Thanks to companies like Amazon, another great company here in Seattle, or Lyft and Uber and others, we are now used to and getting accustomed to and expecting to be able to click a button on our phone and something will happen. Either a book will show up, a package, a car will come pick us up. We are getting used to the on-demand economy uh, and expect that from everything. The second thing that's happening in the world is what I call environmental awareness. Whether you believe in global warming or not, whether you believe in climate change or not, doesn't really matter. What is clear is that this is now becoming forefront of news and forefront of people's minds and thoughts. People understand that when you stand behind a car that's creating emissions, that's not good for your health, let alone the environment. Yeah. People understand that where you're standing next to a plane that creates emissions, that's not good for your health and the environment. And so the awareness of this has becoming very strong. And in fact, to a point that people are willing to act on that awareness. For example, in Europe, there's a growing movement of flight shaming. People who will publicly shame others for flying in a plane and creating emissions when they could have taken, for example, an electric train. And so that's a movement that started in Europe and it's gaining more and more traction. And so those two things, the requirements of people for an on-demand experience and the environmental impact requires aviation to change the way it does things. Because right now, aviation yeah. is not on demand. And aviation is not environmentally friendly. It's not yeah. on demand because if you want to fly in an airline, you are limited to the schedule that the airline decided to allow and the airports that the airline decided where to take off from and where to arrive to, even though it might be not close to an airport that's next to your home or to your office. So air, aviation today is supply driven, not demand driven. And so that has to change. But the reason it's supply driven is that operating aircraft is very, very expensive. The aircraft is expensive. Fuel is expensive. Maintenance mm -hmm. of the engines is very expensive. So in order to make it a little 
more palatable so that airlines can actually offer services. They have to limit how and where they fly so that they can actually do these services. So that's why aviation right now is not on demand. It's also, from an environmental perspective, aviation today contributes, depending on what report you use or read, 2 to 4% of worldwide CO2. And the one thing everyone agrees with is that the more people fly, we expect that number to double and triple and quadruple by 2050. Because while airplanes may be getting a little more efficient, 1 or 2% more efficient, the number of people wanting to fly is growing way more than that. And so there will be more planes in the air, which means more pollution. Yeah. Not only that, the pollution that's done in the air up at 10,000 feet, 30,000 feet is a lot more impactful to the environment than pollution done at street level. And so those two things are very problematic for aviation and have to be solved. The way to solve that is electric aviation because electric aviation allows both solutions to happen in one. What do I mean by that? Electric motors, just like electric cars, do not require fuel. Fuel is between 30 to 40% of an airline's cost. You take that away and you only charge for electricity, that's a huge difference. I'll give you an example. Take a nine-passenger aircraft. For a 100-mile flight, the traditional engine nine-passenger aircraft uses about $400 in fuel. It will only use less than $10 in electricity. So imagine that difference when you multiply that by all the planes and all the distances. So a huge, huge cost savings. Also, the electric motor, just like an electric car, does not require much maintenance, hardly any. And so the cost of maintenance goes away. The fact that the airplane has to be in the hangar for maintenance goes away because there's no maintenance. And so now the planes are more available to do flights. The current uh, estimate is that per each hour of flight, the electric aircraft will cost 50 to 80% less than its internal combustion engine sister. What that means is now, if it's so cheap to operate these airplanes, now airlines can fly more on demand from and to more airports and lower ticket prices. So imagine what that does to the flying public. There was some research in Europe that was done that showed that if you increase the ticket price by 10%, 11% less people will fly. And the opposite is true. Hmm. So imagine if your operations are 50 to 80% cheaper. Let's say you don't pass all of that to the ticket price. Let's say only a third of that goes to lower ticket prices. So you reduce the ticket price by 20%. That means now that 22% more people will be able to fly. That is an unbelievable uh, an amazing opportunity to enable people to fly places, visit places, do commerce, send packages like they've never been able to do before. So for example, in the United States, there are over 10,000 airports approved to fly airplanes in and out of. But the airlines only use 600 airports for their services. Why? Because airlines have figured out the bigger the plane, the more money they can make, and it's already a lower margin business. But the bigger the plane also means they need more infrastructure and they need bigger airports so that they can fill that plane. So they only fly to the major airports. If they do fly to a smaller town, then the ticket price is very expensive to make up for that difference. The beauty of an electric aircraft that's only 5, 9, 12 passengers and costs 50 to 80% less to operate per hour, you can now go to all these small towns, small cities, regional airports, rural airports, 
connect communities and do it profitably. And so that really changes the way we think about aviation. The second part the electric motor and the electric aircraft solves is the part of, uh, of environmental awareness. Remember, airplanes produce 2 to 4% of worldwide CO2, and electric motor produces zero emissions. And so by doing electric aviation, you're solving both these trends and both these services at once, on demand or as close as on demand as possible, to more and more airports at a lower price, and doing it all with zero emissions. That's why today, the push for electric aviation is so important. Yeah, and it's almost crazy how like airlines did not get into like investing in this like way, way sooner. I mean, considering, okay, in, it will, first of all, like we, like we said, once the airlines start to adopt it, people will realize it more and demand it for, but if there was more awareness around how much, uh, you know, greenhouse emissions that are happening because of these uh, air travels, people might have been more demanding for, from airlines to have a better solution. I mean, we see the same thing in real estate, right? Like people, just because there's lack of awareness around all the uh, environmental aspects of uh, construction, uh, when you're, let's say, buying a house or investing in something, you're not necessarily really uh, making an educated decision on whether, you know, this is a green choice. I think there's similarly in uh, aviation, it's like so complex that uh, the average consumer may not have an idea of how, what's its impact to uh, environment, like the negative impact. So I think that sort of lack of demand from the airlines let the airlines to like not innovate or like push into this like way sooner. Um, but at the same time, there is such a trend and we see this and you mentioned also, like, first of all, we're so we're like so much more world travelers, right? Like everyone has been uh, has been interested in traveling or tra travels way more than they ever did, whether that's for work or for personal interest. And we see also from Gen Z and onwards, there is so much more interest in sustainable traveling. So if they're they're picking a hotel, they're trying to make more conscious decision on whether that is a, a environmentally friendly hotel or a socially conscious hotel. But we have the lack of options or maybe like no option in terms of sustainable air travel. Um, so I think like the generations moving forward are already a little bit more aware of uh, aware of these and this has been like already a conversation for like so, so long. It's sort of interesting to see how um, the R&D had to happen first and uh, the R&D company found the market for itself instead of the market demanding a solution from R&D businesses because the lack of awareness and demand from the customer. If there was demand, they would have had to done this way, way sooner, right? Uh, well, yes and no. So think of uh, Kodak. There was demand for a better solution for cameras, a more convenient one, an easier way to store pictures, etc. Kodak invented the digital camera and yet denied it and hid it back because they were making all their money out of film. And so Kodak kind of viewed the, the digital camera as a risk to their main business, which was film. Today, Kodak is no longer a company because they missed the movement. And so very similar, if you think about be it real estate, be it cars, be it uh, aviation, you could think of cars as well. Why didn't the other automobile companies make electric cars? Why did Tesla have to come and do it? Because the automobile companies were making really good money with their traditional know-how. And so it had to be someone external like Tesla that said, let's shake things up a bit and do it differently. There's no different in aviation. 
the traditional companies are not doing it because the traditional companies make a lot of money doing the things that they've been doing for the last 70 years. So why change it, right? And so it takes a company like Magni X uh, and, and with a partnership with like Harbor Air in Canada to say, we need to change the way we do things because while the consumers aren't demanding it because the consumers don't know because no one's telling them, we know that it's happening. We know that the on-demand is coming. We know that the environmental awareness is getting stronger every day. So we would like to offer a solution that says, here is what you can now know about. But first, we have to prove the solution works. You know, it's very easy to create buzz around something and then say, oh, sorry about creating that buzz, but it doesn't actually work. And so there is no solution. So our goal as MagniX is let's first focus on the solution, make sure that it works like the flights we did back in December. And we continue to fly now with the electric beaver. It's a five passenger aircraft. We continue to fly it up with Harbor Air in Vancouver. Let's prove the point. Let's expand that. Magnix is going to fly a Cessna Caravan, which is a nine-passenger aircraft, uh, here in April. So that's in a few months from now. So that's an even larger airplane. And then towards the end of the year, we're flying another nine-passenger aircraft, which is the Aviation Alice, which is a brand-new, designed-from-scratch electric airplane. So we are starting to gain traction and, and move towards a direction of, let's prove the point. We don't need to show videos and ad campaigns and all of that to create popularity because it's not a popularity contest. It's really about solving this issue. So let's first solve it and then make people aware of it. And that's kind of the path that we're on. Yeah. And it's such a bold and uh, also like it's a huge risk too, I guess, for corporates too, who have their, like you said, like making money in the traditional ways for so long now. And like why change things or risk things, especially I guess on the management's perspective, if there is no need for it in the next like 10 years, so it really relies on companies like you that has come from an R&D angle and very solution driven. And yeah, the I guess you're really right. Like the buzz will only follow once you address the one of the biggest problems in the world. Yeah. And look, and look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Historically, it, it wasn't the book companies that invented online books. It was Amazon. It wasn't the supermarkets that did yeah. uh, bulk big box shopping. It was Costco, right? It always had. It wasn't the coffee companies that did cafes. It was Starbucks. It always had to be someone that came in from the outside and say, "Why not?" As opposed to, "Why try?" And this is the same thing here. <laughs> so, so, so true. Um, I want to touch upon the aspect of how Magni X is actually also offering a scalable solution because of its own, it, it, the model that it has, where it's more like an intervention into the existing aircrafts rather than like creating electric airplanes, right? Like it could be both ways. Yeah. So MagniX is working in both paths. Uh, and the two paths that we work on are one, retrofitting or what we call magnifying existing aircraft. The other is working with nice. manufacturers of brand new aircraft. The reason we do both is a transition in a revolution like this, the electric aviation revolution, takes time. Imagine if someone just yeah. bought a traditional propeller plane one, two, five years ago. And that propeller plane serves them well. It does great things for them. They've already paid for it. And now suddenly the electric opportunity comes around. It would, be, it would be hard to expect them to now get rid of that plane that no one will want because it's the old technology and buy a brand new plane. Yeah. That's one limit. The second is it takes time for enough 
new airplane manufacturers to build enough planes so that anyone that wants them can buy them. So because of those two things, we decided as a propulsion company that we would also offer magnification of existing aircraft. We can go to those owners of the aircraft, like the uh, agreement we did with Harbor Air and their Beaver, and say, you have, in this case, a 62-year-old aircraft. You love that aircraft. It serves you well. It's a seaplane. It does everything you want, except you hate the engine. You hate the fact that it guzzles yeah. a lot of gas. You hate the fact that it creates emissions. You hate the fact that it smells and is noisy. If you could only change that, this airplane would be perfect. Well, this is where a company like MagniX can come in and say, we can actually change that. We'll get rid of the old engine, the old fuel system, put in an electric propulsion system with batteries, and now you can use that same aircraft that you know, that you love, that you already fly, that already fits in your network, and just do it now electrically, just with giant exclamation points. And so from that perspective, that's why we offer the magnification of existing aircraft as an interim, and the interim could be a 10-year interim, until there are enough electric aircraft manufacturers delivering enough electric airplanes to everyone who needs them. But that doesn't mean we're not doing that as well. We're also working with electric aircraft manufacturers yeah. who are designing brand new electric aircraft from scratch. Eviation is one of them with their Alice. Uh, we're working with some others as well. And the idea there is, is that there are people who are thinking now in the next few years of buying a new airplane, they might as well buy a new electric plane. Again, no different than cars, but with one difference. An individual that bought a car will not now, for the most part, pay money to convert it to an electric car because that's a very yeah. expensive proposition. And as an individual, I don't get anything in return except for the fact that it's clean. But, you know, there, there's a big cost to that. But as an airline, when you have a fleet of 10, 30, 50 aircraft and you spend uh, them every day, you spend money on fuel and maintenance to make your money, that's your business. Then the investment in magnifying them to all electric makes complete sense. And so that's why we're working in both paths. It's so, so important, I think, to uh, offer such a holistic solution because uh, it seems like it is the problem in almost all other industries. Like, yes, there are companies that are doing it sustainably and offering better solutions, but that doesn't necessarily help address the entire problem within the industry, right? You see it from anywhere from, like you said, from car, uh, car industry to the built environment, right? Retrofitting is a huge cost and a problem for everything that is out there that is not uh, environmentally friendly or even like more basic B2C industries like fashion. So I think it's such an important way of like addressing the problem by, okay, whether either we can do acupuncture uh, or we can actually do a whole uh, operation like surgery. So I think that's in that sense, it's, uh, it's it seems to be such a more sustainable model. Model. Um, well, it's also, also no different than real estate. We can, but, you can, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. It's very similar to real estate. You can convince someone that they need to sell their old house and move to a brand new house that was built sustainably, which is a difficult sell yeah. if they're not happy to wanting to look for a new house. Or you can say, hey, you can upgrade your roof, your doors, and your windows to be more sustainable. So at least they're on the path yeah. towards it. And so we offer both so that both. Can, can move forward in this revolution. So true. And I want to touch upon another angle, which I think makes MagniX really interesting in terms of how uh, more of a sustainable model it is. There was actually, and this addresses 
something that was actually uh, recently uh, discussed in New Yorker in an article where it talks about why venture capital is very risky. And in one of your uh, interviews, you mentioned uh, uh, you're not a traditional startup because you're fully funded and that allows you to focus on your long-term goals. How uh, can Correct. you talk a little bit more about that? Like, I think that's uh, really, really important to mention as a tech uh, company that does heavy R&D. Yeah, uh, I tell you, in my previous company that was a venture backed startup, uh, th there is a con in any venture capital backed startup, uh, the funding you get is usually for 12, 18, maybe 24 months if you're lucky. Yeah. And then that means that every 12 to 24 months, as a company and as the CEO, you have to now take the bulk of your time and focus on how do you attract the next level of investment so that you can continue doing what you want to do. Yeah. Now, the challenge is, is that the next investor doesn't know who you are, what you've been doing. And so they want to see something tangible. And so many times what you have to do in companies like that is not always focus on what's the 10, 20, 40 year goal. You focus on what's the 12 month goal so I can get more funding yeah. to go another 12 months. And then what's the next 12 months goal. And so you're always working in small, short term goals that aren't necessarily best for your long term vision, but they're what's required for you to raise money. So that's a big challenge and that drives a lot of slowness in the way we can do long-term business. Now, many startups don't care about that because their goal is to get to an exit, yeah. right? I do the investment, I get to an exit in maybe 12 months, maybe in four years, and then we all become rich and we all go do something else. Yeah, That's a completely different approach than what MagniX is doing. MagniX is owned 100% by the Claremont Group out of Singapore. The Claremont Group has a very clear vision of what it wants to do in the world and how it wants to leave an impact uh, and make a uh, lasting impact on the world. One of them is through electric aviation. So our goal as MagniX is that in 40 years, we will become one of the key providers of propulsion systems for aerospace, and that the majority of aerospace, at least in the middle mile, flights from 50 to 1,000 miles will be done completely electrically. When you have a 40-year goal, and your owner funds you for that goal, that completely changes the way you think of things. For example, none of the employees, including myself, have equity in MagniX. There is no exit strategy. There mm -hmm. is no, hey, why don't you wait a year or two and you'll become rich because we'll sell the company or we'll do an IPO. The goal is to build a generational business that will be here and provide services in aerospace way beyond our lifetime. And when that's the goal and you have the funding for that goal, you can act in a way that is long-term, which is the way a business should act. It's not about when does Roy Gonzarski get his equity turned into money and can go and retire in the Bahamas. It's not about when can the employees uh, get their equity from an IPO and all go do their own startups. So this yeah. is not about us as individuals. This is about us as, as a small part of a company, a generational business that is going to impact the world. And so it really changes not only how we as a company can act, but how we as individuals act within the company. And it's a pleasure to be, in it, to be able to do that because it really allows us to do what we've done, which is, for example, in 11 months, go from clean sheet paper to a flying commercial aircraft. That doesn't happen uh, when you're focused on trying to raise money because things like that are expensive to do. 
they require top talent. And so you don't do interim solutions like, oh, let's maybe try a small two-passenger hybrid plane in the meantime to prove the point, to raise more money for the next four-passenger plane. No, this is if this is the goal, commercial aviation all electric, let's go after it right now, all in, all the time. And you can do that when you're funded and fully focused like Magni X is. That is so, so, so important to mention. Like, that's why, like, especially now with what's wrong with we come across a lot of uh, progress making businesses, like we always cautiously approach the businesses that are venture backed and always used a, a phrase in their mission, like we're disrupting the industry, where it's clearly like you see, like there is a strategy of uh, like there's a huge marketing to raise a brand awareness and then um and you can see like it, the main interest is just like generating quick money to impress stakeholders. So instead of like being an R&D, then um, you're acting uh, like a politician almost that's trying to impress their voters for like the next upcoming elections. So Exactly. And that's why you'll see with a lot of startups, especially in, even in aviation, if you look at a lot of the electric aviation startups, you'll see a bunch of uh, you know, futuristic videos on their website and what could the world look like and look at what we're doing. From Agni-X perspective, it was about getting things done, not about saying we can get things done. So the only video you see on our website is a video of the actual plane flying. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what's important, not what could the future look like. Now, I will say we are lucky, we are blessed, and we are privileged to have an owner that funds us and, and allows us and supports us in doing what needs to get done. That is not a normal thing for startups. Yeah, I guess then it's sort of like a call to action to these generational funds and investors that uh, saying that, you know, they should be focusing more on the future of the world in general and uh, allocate funds to companies that are actually trying to address the real underlying problems of each industry. Well, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's I think it's a call to action to both investment arms and individuals. Yeah. If the goal of your startup is to make quick money and a quick exit, then that's not very much a generational business. Then stick to that. As an investor, if your goal is to make quick money, then that's a whole different strategy than an investor who wants to really invest in the long term. It's amazing. I remember going to business school and in in the first finance class, they teach you that investing is about the long run because there's so many ups and downs in the middle, you really want to look at your long, long-term, long goal returns. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you look at venture capital, it's all about the short term: twelve months, eighteen months, twenty-four months. When am I getting my money back? When do I grow? That's a whole different side of business. And if you look at aviation, aviation itself is a very long-term bet. It's very expensive to get in aviation. It takes a lot of time to get in aviation, a lot of capital. And so, if someone wants to invest in aviation, they shouldn't be expecting to get quick returns like they can if they're investing in an app or software company. They need to be ready, have both the strategic patience and the financial patience to do it right. Right. And I think that's already a great advice for anyone who wants to do any uh, like uh, heavy R&D or genuine innovation in an industry to address a problem. But as someone who is trying to, you know, uh, tackle such a big uh, challenge that the world is facing today, do you have any other additional advice to progress makers that are trying to, you know, push boundaries a bit and uh, change how things are done? Yeah, my my advice uh, that we've learned both the hard way and from past experiences, one is remain focused. 
find what it is that you and or your company are really good at, really passionate about, and that can add value in and stick to that. It's very easy for a startup that has no revenue to be swayed by any shiny object that says, hey, I'll give you a little bit of money if you do this. It's not what you want to do as a company, but I'll give you some money. And suddenly the startup moves and says, okay, I'll do that because that helps me get money. Yeah. Oh, now I'll do this other side project because it helps me get money. Oh, I'll do this third project because maybe I can make money there. And then you end up doing a little bit of everything and a lot of nothing. So focus is really, really important. Select where you are and go after that. For example, for Magni X, it's about commercial aviation. It's not even about private planes or small two-passenger planes. It's about commercial aviation and going electric. So we get approached all the time by people who want to put our motors into small planes or people who want to put our motors into boats, cars, trains. And our answer is not right now. Right now, we are focused on commercial aviation. And once we've earned the right to do more than that by being successful in that, then we can look at doing more. So focus is one piece of advice I would give. The second is full transparency with the team. Uh, I have learned and found that when your team, uh, and here at MagniX, this is how we operate, when the team knows everything that's going on, the only thing the team doesn't know is each other's salaries because that's their personal business. Mm -hmm. But everything else in the company, they know who made mistakes, who had successes, what customer is unhappy with something, what customer is really happy with something, what piece of technology worked and what didn't work. Everyone is exposed to everything. And if they wanted to know how much money we have in our bank account, they ask and they get to know. That level of transparency has everyone really participating together in what's going on. It doesn't mean everyone participates in the decision making or that it's a consensus based organization, mm -hmm. but it means that everyone knows why things are happening, what's happening, when they're going to happen so that everyone can be on the same train going in the same direction at the same speed so that we can end at our destination. So transparency, I found, is a very powerful tool for any, especially startup, trying to rapidly grow. So those are the two kind of key pieces of advice that I would give. I love those, focus and transparency. Thank you so much, Roy. This was such a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for joining and helping us raise awareness around why we need uh, electric aviation. My pleasure. And let the electric aviation revolution begin. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down with Samuel Stein. He's a geography PhD candidate at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York and an urban studies instructor at Hunter College. He is the author of Capital City, Gentrification and the Real Estate State, a book that investigates what he calls the rise of the real estate state, or the increasingly powerful faction of government that seeks to bend public policy towards ever-rising property value. For more information on our events and podcasts, visit us at whatswrongwith.xyz.